Welcome to the Open Paddock Rallycast presented by Oz Rally Pro. This is episode number 121, and in our continuing catch-up from our previous technical issues, we're going to flash back to our chat from back in March where we talked with Mark Pietkowski about going from an actually aspirated four-wheel drive Subaru to the Fiesta Rally 2. Mark goes into detail about the challenges in adjusting his driving style and his notes to the performance available, and that's without even any setup changes. It's time for another round at the virtual rally pub we call the Rallycast. Hello, I'm your host, Mike Shaw, and I'm back in front of the microphone, but this time just in front of my computer and not in front of a camera. Thank you to all of you who watched me assisting with the live streaming at both Olympus and at Oregon Trail Rally. At OTR specifically, we're really fortunate. Uh, we have really good cell signal and we got over eight hours. I went and looked at it, eight hours of uh, live streaming that we did there. So I hope you uh, all got to check in on some of that stuff. You know, it's really fun. There isn't really much better than stage ends, especially, and being able to get some of the reactions from the competitors. Not all the stage ends had signal, so we went to some places like The Jump and Mary Hill and things like that. We couldn't get to every stage end, but we got to a couple of them, and uh, yeah, that was pretty rewarding to uh, get the reactions from those. Speaking of OTR, there's a few things that really stood out from that rally for me. Obviously, it's my home rally, one that I put in a lot of hours along with uh, several other people that are part of the organizing committee. And there's other people that do, you know, some smaller tasks as well leading up to it. It's a lot of work, really rewarding when it gets uh, completed. But first of all, what really got to me is the lack of respect from some competitors uh, when it came to the porta potties that we put at the stage starts and finishes. There's only one, one provider of those out in that area. There isn't another option. And we go through a lot of extra work in working with that company who's just local to that area, right? And getting those put out there. And I've used said porta potties before and they all look pretty brand spanking new. And to some people that thought it would be funny to do graffiti in those is deplorable. I, I just don't get it. I don't know why they would think also comments saying, you know, they probably used to graffiti. Well, again, these things look brand spanking new all the time. They take good care of them. And it, it obviously shows to me that a lack of respect for our event, lack of respect for me, for us as organizers, and the lack of respect of our sport. And if you think that that's fun, stay home. Don't come, don't be at our events, go somewhere else. I don't want you. That was just so deplorable what happened. And thankfully, some folks went and uh, tried to help clean it up. Obviously not the culprit. Nobody stood up and, and admitted to what they did. But it was uh, likely a co-driver of some sort because of the black permanent marker. Not everybody's working around with those doing recce. So yeah, so that happened. Uh, and the other one is, come on, folks. Th th there are these bathrooms that we put at the beginning and the end of a stage. And there's uh, the start of Dallas Mountain where we had to have the to fit cars in front of ATC because we're right next to the highway. We had to make cars uh, loop around to a side road and kind of turn around and uh, kind of queue up there. It, it's probably at most those cars are queuing up a couple block walk to the, where the porta potty is. Instead, some people decided they'd just whip it out and pee uh, off to the side of the road somewhere where there's uh, local residents. So we had to make a last minute change and move the start because of the complaint from the residents that uh, apparently some competitors think the world is their bathroom. Come on, seriously, walk the couple of blocks to where we actually put in these porta potties for you. 
You know, we spend money on this for not just for the workers to use, but for you as competitors to use. And again, showing lack of respect, we could now have a landowner that is an advocate for ending that stage and we can never use Dow's Mountain again, maybe. I don't know, could happen, but it's not doing well for our sport when people do that. So think about where you're at. Think about if it was your house and you're sitting there and you're looking out your window and somebody's whipping it out to pee in your yard, essentially, you know? Just be respectful. Anyways, enough on the ranting. On the other hand, there was some great generosity I got to see. I was the captain of the shakedown stage, which we had extra runnings for 20 bucks each for K9 Cavalry. And we raised $840, I think it was. So that was awesome. And it was great to give that to the guys that run that. This program, it's a dog training program specifically to help military veterans that suffer from PTSD. So. For those, those of you that uh, paid for extra runs and uh, that went to the donation, thank you very much. That was that was just really cool. They're they very surprised that we raised that much. So on the racing end of things, well, we'll have to get some folks on the show soon to talk more detail about it. But I, I thought it was awesome that we had that exact tie to the 10th of a second for uh, Pastrana and Semenuk after the end of the second day. Honestly, the fact that ARA also didn't have a rule on how to handle that. But if you would have predicted something like that happening, you should have brought, bought a lottery ticket, man, because that's that's just remarkable. I, I would have never have thought to the 10th of a second uh, after more than a day of, uh, of racing. So that, that was pretty cool. And they got it all worked out. And I'm sure ARA will create a rule now <laughs> for that one. But it really it was the battle for the regional overall but between uh, Alejandro uh, Persina and, and his co-driver Andre Bautista versus Sam Albert and Krista Skukas. That one just went down to the wire with two stages left, 1.6 seconds between them, and they just pushed to the very limit. Great to see Alejandro back after a couple years not uh, having him out here. Obviously the RAV4 uh, AP4, that vehicle is uh, doing quite well. I remember when he first brought it out, I think it was Olympus two years ago, something like that, um, was suffering some issues getting used to the car. It had some, some sort of problem as well. Uh, obviously it's well sorted and they ended up pulling out the win. A lot of exciting stuff, but we'll talk more about that in a, in a future episode. Anyhow, without further ado, here's our interview with Mark Piatkowski right after these messages from our supporters. Go, five right short over crest into second small crest, 40, full left plus nips. Hi, this is Alex and Rihanna Gelsomino from Oz Rally Pro, Advanced Rally Training. Are you new to rally or have you been rallying many years? No matter what your experience, we can progress you further. Our classes are team training, driver pace note training, or co-driver training that are tailored to each individual or team. Email osrallypro at gmail.com for further details. And welcome back to the Open Paddock Rallycast. Mark Pietkowski, our current, still, championship leader. Crazy, huh? <laughs> After two rounds, you know, Snowdrift was... A bit of a shock to me, but to still be leading the championship after uh, after two rounds is is pretty surreal and something I'm I'm very very proud. Well, the fact that you're going into R five, I don't know if it's the worst kept secret, <laughs> but I think I think a few people, quite a few people, <laughs> had an idea. Yeah, I I know it, it kind of like spread like wildfire. I know some of the Irish got caught wind of it and then i think it it's it spread just like that so yeah it was probably rally's worst kept secret <laughs> at the end of the day when the news was released but it was um 
it was still a very exciting time for me. The The deal was pretty much solidified, I'd say, probably about a day or two after I returned from Snowdrift. And for those that don't know, Kyle Tilly, the, um, the owner of Aero Motorsport, um, had a schedule conflict with one of the road racing events down in Sebring. So he was racing in the Sebring, uh, 12 hours of Sebring, I believe it was. Yep. You know, so he, he obviously could not be um, at 100 Acre, which was the, the same weekend. So he had asked me if I would be interested in, in you know, having a go at the R5 and like, how, how could I say no? <laughs> you know, it was, it was, it was quite surreal. I mean, obviously I, I said, yes, we, we negotiated a, a, a things and um, there I was kind of thrusted into the uh, parachuted and thrusted into this, uh, into this R5, which was a completely surreal experience. You know, I was going to say, it must have also felt kind of good is the amount of support. You know, you're the little guy that's now playing with the big boys, right? I mean, obviously, we know that you can perform. You've shown that in the car that you, you know, that you currently own. But getting this opportunity is not something that we see too often. Yeah, for you to be able to get that opportunity and, and, and all these people saying, wow, look at Mark, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was... It, it it felt really good, right? I had I had such a tremendous support from from just the North American rally community, but it was it was interesting on how I could approach this, right? So like, there's really there's really two ways that I could I could approach you know 100 acre. Number one is to go 11 tenths and to like try to show my speed and and possibly bin it. <laughs> right and and then option number two is to take the more more sensible route you know and and, essen- and essentially do what kyle wanted me to do in the car and so I, I i i took the latter approach i mean the reason why he wanted me to be in the car is to to first and foremost finish the uh the rally and also to take away rc2 points from the rest of the uh, the main contenders that are going to more than likely do the entire national championship. Ah, I see. So he had a little bit of, uh, yeah, I, I can see that. Yep. So he, so he had a kind of a dual plan there. <laughs> oh, for, for sure. For sure. But, you know, I, I naively wanted to also try to um, try to prove my speed. And so it was it was a very difficult balancing act trying to obviously do what your boss is telling you to do, right? right. But then also trying to, uh, to, to prove your speed. And I think at the end of the day, I I accomplished both. But you know, just throughout throughout the the event, I had kind of like a seesaw, and an an oscillation line, as 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 I like to say, of of my performance. But um, at the end of the day, I brought the car home in 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 one piece. I had a, a freaking phenomenal time in the beast of a car, and uh, and I essentially you know checked all the all the boxes. So. Tell us a little bit about, you know, obviously you get the opportunity and whatnot, then you get a chance to, you know, do a, do a short test with it. What, what was your first time sitting inside that car? I mean, did they, did you go on a little ride along first? Did you, was it just you first time got to drive it and kind of figured out for yourself on the test? How'd that work out? Yeah. So, so the deal was when I, when I essentially agreed to, you know, sit in the R5 for hundred acre, I was like, Kyle, I, I, I need a test. I can't just, you know, be parachuted in and go from 160 horsepower car to a, a purpose built, you know, turbocharged beast. And so we, we both agreed that that's probably the best, the best method. 
and so when I when I first I when I first saw the car, I, I obviously did a, a seat fitting, and Kyle and I are, are fairly the same size. I, I I like the steering wheel a little bit closer, so <laughs> literally all we did is just move the the seat up. Um, so I'm I'm a little bit closer to the wheel, but we're both the same height, and we both have the same torso, and so everything else felt felt perfectly fine. And I, I tried to when I when I saw the car the day before the test, I tried to get you know the the camera set up, the the seat set up, so that when I arrived at the test, all I had to do is 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 just focus on driving. And so, unbeknownst to me, it had snowed the day prior to the test um, about half a foot. And so I'm like, well, crap! Like there, there's. My whole test day is going to be ruined because we don't have snow tires. We're on gravel tires. They most likely didn't plow the road. And so I, I kind of thought that I'd be, you know, going to 100 Acre with, without a test. But um, thankfully, the road that we had we had booked, they had plowed the roads um, a day before. And when, when we arrived, there was snow off to the side. But the, the road surface was actually um, pretty nice gravel. So I was uh, I was very happy when I was doing doing recce. So was this test like a week before, just a few days before? It was a, a week before the the event. So we had the okay. event test on a, on a Sunday. And um, so it was essentially, you know, five, five days before the uh, before the start of the rally. Gotcha. And so I I'm trying to remember exactly everything that I did because it just so it happened all so quickly, <laughs> you know. But I, I I remember first driving the car on the street, just just feeling out how the clutch is, which the clutch is so stiff. If if anyone's ever driven an, an R5 car, I mean, you know, when when you're there at Park Expose, you you hear the cars just slipping the clutch, and it's like, man, this car, this guy doesn't know how to drive stick. But in reality, it's a very very tough clutch to get right, and it's it's very easy to to stall out. So when when the top guys are really slipping the clutch, they're they're doing it for a reason. But I first went on the on the stage in just road mode, uh. and I did two passes of it in just in road mode, no stage, no ALS, no nothing. And I'm like, man, this car's already fast. This car's already so fast. And so John Hall, my co-driver, goes, well, wh- what do you think putting it into stage mode? And I'm like, uh, let me let me just do one more pass on road mode. <laughs> so we did about two to three passes just in road mode for me to just get a, a feeling of of everything. And then I'm like, you know what? screw it i'm gonna go full stage mode and there's three different modes of Mm anti-lag so i went on the full beans on on my first run uh als number three (laughs) and and holy crap mike it was such a different car i mean the did you launch it too i i launched it als three in mode so i i just went full beans into it and the car was so responsive that it was actually very difficult to drive. And so, like, I was like, all right, you know, I, I got that out of the way. Let me start with a more sensible approach and just do ALS 1. So l- let me ask you also real quick, because obviously this test road that you're on, that you started off with, you know, again, just doing road mode and whatnot, you made pace notes for it. Correct. How far off <laughs> were those pace notes because of the uh, rate of speed that you can, can do with that car. So I'm um, I'm actually very thankful that John Hall agreed to uh, to to sit with me because his his knowledge and his experience. You know, he's he's driven in and ridden in top cars, and he's you know ridden with people with so much more experience than me. And so um, that was actually another another point 
that I had with Kyle, I was like, you know, hey, I, I, I know I've had great co-drivers in the past, but they, you know, perhaps have not had the experience with this fast of a car. So not only did I want to test, but I also wanted, you know, a co-driver who's had experience in, in these types of cars. And so John was a, a godsend to me because the, the notes that I've written for my open light car were, were vastly different at, at this speed. And so as, as we're going through recce, I mean, we must have done probably about a four or five pass on, you know, the, the two mile road. And first I was like, you know, John, let me just write the notes as, as I would in, in my own car. And then as, as each pass that went through, he goes, well, you know, at speed, this is too complex. You're going to have to narrow this down. And instead of breaking down the corners into, into two corners, it's really just one. Right. And so all of these little tidbits that, that he was telling me, it, 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 at first I was like borderline, I was like, John, these are practically your notes and not mine. Yeah. But as we went throughout the test, it started to make sense. You know, you have to really simplify it. You know, your, your distances have to be exact because, you know, you're essentially coming into a corners, potentially double the speed. And so everything has to be a little more, a little bit more succinct. And um, his experience was was really um, it was it was a godsend for me. So I, I can't thank him enough for uh, for agreeing with me and and sitting with an R five newbie. Yeah, it was essentially just thrusted into this into this whole new experience of of, of craziness. So and I kind of interrupted you. So you you went back to the ALS one and started to get a little more familiar. I guess how did that go? And I you know I guess one thing that I've I've been fortunate enough to be able to to have been able to ride in some top top cars. And one thing that I seem to notice for these, you know, purpose-built race cars, they're so connected to the road. You feel like you can feel the the, the individual, like the, like the rubber, how it meets the road, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah, like yeah. the grip level is like, it's like you're bonded to the car. Yes. Well, what, what you have to realize, and, and this is when I, what I was telling people, everyone's like, how is the R5 compared to, you know, your, your regular Subaru? And here's, here's what I told everybody. The, the operating window of my Subaru is very wide. You know, if, if you don't want to push and you're going to drive and putz around at seven tenths, the car will still work. If you want to drive at 10 tenths, the car will still work. Right. The, the operating window of, of, of my car is is very large because essentially it started life out as a production car. Mm-hmm. What what people have to understand is in an, in, an, in an R5, it's it's obviously a purposeful rally car, but the operating window is very, very narrow. So if you drive at nine tenths, the car is not going to work. If you drive at ten point one tenths, you're going to be in the trees. And so this is why the test for me was so crucial is, is finding that, that operating window of, okay, now the car is working or you're either beyond that operating window or you're below it. And so people were asking me at, at hundred acre, you know, what the hell happened on Friday evening? Right. When, when the, when the conditions changed, was there a problem with the car or anything? And I said, you know, essentially, no, the only problem was me is because the grip level changed. It obviously got you know significantly more slippy, and I just fell out of that operating window. Right. And so when when it's the car only works when you push it. 
if the car is not, if the nose is not diving, if you're not using the suspension on every corner, you're, you're not utilizing the car to its full capacity. And so when the grip levels changed on me, the car was not pitching because, you know, it's, it's very difficult to, to commit when it's significantly more, more slippy. And so you saw my times just completely tumble. And that, in, in order to accurately use a car of that caliber, you just need seat time, yeah. right? So I, I had I had seat time in a in a specific, you know, fairly, you know, dry to damp gravel setting. But when it was full rain, I just didn't have the seat time or experience, and and uh, and my time showed that. You know, you're saying something interesting here because it reminds me of conversations I've had with both uh, Pat Morrow and with David Higgins. Pat, you know, was one to say that you know when talking about top level rally cars, you know, um, like the Rally 2 and whatnot, is, you know, he says they're designed to be easier to drive. You know, that's how they sell them. So people can get great performance out of them without having to struggle too hard to do it. But David's one that's always said, at least with the Subarus, it's hard to slow down because the cars just don't, quote unquote, work unless you push them. But they're both kind of right, right? So I guess maybe you can explain it a little bit as well, like kind of like you're saying here, is that it's not probably hard to push these cars. You just have to get your comfort level maybe there. Yeah. So if you, for those that actually watch some of my onboards in the, in the, in the R5 car, you'll see that my, my inputs are very aggressive. Right. And, and that's because I'm just used to a, a production level car. The car is not as responsive. And so one of the one of the first alarming things that I found out about the car at speed is that you have to be ultra smooth. Gotcha. And, and for me, coming from my my old open light car, I mean, you have to throw the thing into the corner and 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 pitch it sideways to to for it to even work. And so, one of the most alarming things that that I found, and also John noticed after our first few runs, he goes, "Dude, you have to uh, you know calm down your inputs significantly." And so that was the biggest adjustment that I found. And even throughout the rally, I'm still looking at some of my onboard. It's like, man, you know, I'm I'm still so aggressive on 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 inputs and 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 throttle and 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 all of that stuff. But it was it was just so big of a change for me. But to to go back to what you're saying, Mike, I th- I, I still think yes, a, a rally two slash R five car is designed to be easy to drive, quote unquote. But it's it's all about that operating window, right? right? If if you're you know below nine tenths, the car is not going to work. At least not not how you expect it to, right? Right, right. And you know, it, and is and especially for me, I naively thought that I'm going to you know parachute into here and and set good times from the beginning, and I did on some stages. But my lack of experience in that platform, my lack of experience in such a responsive car, such a powerful car showed when the conditions changed right and so it's it's kind of a double-edged sword where you feel very comfortable driving the car at 10 tenths but it's so easy to go beyond that and go into the trees and then also when your confidence level you know dips because of changing conditions or what have you the car doesn't work at all and so for for somebody like um like a David Higgins, I think it's very easy for him to to get in and to and to perform. Or for somebody who's not even you know you know driven an R five car, or let alone sat in a in an R five car, it was probably you know four to five levels beyond what what I was used to. And so 
you know, if, if, if I ever have the opportunity to, you know, to drive an R5 car again, I have so much more experience under my belt, even after just one event that I'm like very confident I can, you know, improve my times by, you know, two to three X. So there were what four other cars in your class, plus, plus Paul Rowley, who's made his an open class car, but still R5 based. Yeah. Did you essentially put yourself at the beginning of the rally, you know, versus the end of it? Did you kind of have an expectation of where you're going to be among that group? Um, man, there's there's so many, you know, rumors and messages that I've gotten saying that, oh, you know, you should be half a second behind this guy and that guy. And I at, at a certain point, I just said, guys, you know, I'm, I'm going to drive this rally like I do every other rally. You know, I'm, I'm going to drive at my own comfort level and have fun. And the second I have a smile, you know, usually good results will come. And that's kind of how I attack the the entire event like i kind of with a half an eyes you know looked at times but you know if if somebody was 20 to 30 seconds quicker than me on a stage it really wouldn't influence so much on how i would tackle tackle the next stage because you know at the end of the day i'm i'm here to to gain seat time and the the, the most detrimental thing that i could have done is is to bin it on like stage one or two true true but I'm going to call a little bullshit, man, because <laughs> you had a little bit of a battle at the end there with Enda. For sure. <laughs> and you chose sure. to push a little, I bet. And, and, and that was my goal at the, uh, at the last loop is to uh, claw back second place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I certainly did that. But I, I guess for day one, Mike, you know, it... Yeah, yeah. And, and for, for those people who, uh, who don't, didn't really follow 100 Acre, the, the conditions were, were obviously very treacherous with, with the rain and whatnot. And on the first stage, first and second stage, I was battling a misted windscreen. And so to, you know, there, there's, um, there's an onboard from, from, from me, and I think Dirtfish is probably going to release it pretty soon of me just flat chatting fifth gear with 99% of the windshield completely misted. And um, I'm just looking at that 1%, you know, on the top of fifth gear. And now that I look back... And trusting notes that have all been different from what you've had before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, all, all things considered, I certainly did try my best. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not there to to Sunday drive. And I think, Mike, you know me by, you know me by now where... If I'm not first, I'm not completely satisfied. Yeah. Right. So we, I, I did have, you know, a fairly good battle with uh, all the RSC2 folks um, on the first loop. And then when my times tumbled on the second loop, I just had to hit that mental reset for, for Saturday and just, you know, go out there and, and have, have fun again and then see where the times were. And then I, I slowly started catching Enda. And going into the last stage, I think we were two or three seconds apart. And I was like, man, this is this is just like 2021 for me, you know, like battling with Ely or, or RX down to the last stage. And so I, I essentially, you know, just just turned up the wick and we got, you know, the top five overall stage time on the uh, on the power stage. Got an extra point. Yeah. And then put, um, you know, 15 seconds on Enda. So that was the uh, deciding factor on how we got second place on the on the very last stage. Was John John Hall uh, pushing you a little bit on those last stages to help you keep up with him, too? I, I feel like John was erring on the side of caution. Gotcha. Uh, a little bit. Um, he was always trying to uh, reel me in when I was a little bit too squirrely. 
on the on the last loop, he 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 finally admitted to me. He goes, you know, Mark, you're you're truly using the car to its to its potential, and you're starting to uh, to finally get the hang of it. Yeah, I, I certainly got the hang of it on the last loop, and then obviously the keys were taken away from me after that. But just as you get comfortable, right? <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's just how life is, right? That's 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 how it goes. But yeah, yeah. Any code brown moments? We we did have one spin on uh, stage. Three, it was, I believe. No, it was stage four. Um, it was the first stage after the uh, on on the second loop. I, it was completely my fault. I heard a five. It was really a four minus, and so he came into the corner completely sideways. And it was kind of like a half spin, but then I needed to do a K turn, and the car stalled and probably lost. I don't know, close to thirty forty seconds there. After that, John was like, "Okay, you need to kind of reel it in a little bit." That on top of the, the grip changes and all of that stuff, my times just tumbled on the second loop. So it was a it was a little bit disheartening. Were you able to, um, I guess, as as things when it was slick out there, were you able to later on in that loop start figuring out how to get trust in the car in in those conditions? Probably at the very tail end of it, but I made also the mistake of of looking at the times. And that was just completely demoralizing for me. You know, gotcha. I was up, yeah. uh, up there, thereabouts with the with all the guys in the in the first loop, and then I saw you know somebody taking you know fifteen twenty seconds uh, out of a out of a relatively short stage. So that was kind of demoralizing for me, and I think it just kind of snowballed. In in hindsight, I probably should have approached it differently. It's amazing how psychological this sport can be, isn't it? Yeah, and I and I thought I was usually good at that. You know, I'm usually good at blocking out. Things, but I think I put just so much pressure on myself to, uh, and especially after the first loop when things were going relatively well, and uh, I had still a lot left in in the tank, mm-hmm. and, uh, and to just see those times tumble on the on the second loop was uh, pretty demoralizing for me. But yeah. uh, I feel like I, I tried to um, hit the mental reset button for Saturday and, and get back into a groove, and I think I certainly have on the on the final loop. Well, another thing, actually, just. That, that made this different is normally you manage your own car, you know, set up changes, whatever it is. Um, I guess throughout the weekend, one, here you got a team that's working on the car. You can kind of direct people to do things and you don't have to do anything but focus on driving. Amazing. Yep. And then two, did you make any changes throughout the weekend? To be honest, Mike, I pulled a Sebastian Loeb and made absolutely zero changes to the car. From the test day and just throughout the event, I made absolutely zero changes. So, is this kind of the, the kind of the neutral setup that you kind of used? That's what they would call it. We we use the base M Sport setting for for gravel. Towards the um, towards the end of the test, I really started pushing and, and finding the limits of what I thought was possible within the car. And I found the car even on the base setting to have a pretty neutral feeling with a slight touch of oversteer which is essentially my style i like a very oversteery car the the last thing that i want is an understeery car right so when i started pushing the car and, and i started it started just behaving the way i wanted to i i essentially was like you know what you know the the car is doing everything i want it to do there's no sense in in changing and having you know the setup go completely backwards one way. Yeah. And on the flip side though is you never know until you start changing stuff. Right. That's what I was going to say. It's like the, the number of variables now has gone through the roof, right? Of what you could test and try out and and see what differences they actually make with your driving style, right? Correct. 
And I, I think in in hindsight, I should have probably softened the car for the second loop on on the first day. But you know, I was just so comfortable with the car after the first loop. I I just I just stuck with it. But I guess that kind of stuff comes with with experience. And if I ever have this opportunity again. I'll certainly want to play with, with different settings to see how the how the car behaves. But I was actually very surprised after after the test. The car was doing everything that I wanted to do, and and I was you know just brimming with confidence. Well, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So I guess that's always one of those challenges as well. But but also, like I said though, what was it like working with a team where the team works on the car and you now can focus on? Did you do any uh, you know like the Subaru guys will do? Is they'll you know after you're done with a loop, they're going to look at some of the data and see how you're doing with, gosh, what's the terminology? I'm thinking, you know, looking at the uh, statistics and stuff coming off the car or maybe at the end of the day and, and, you know, help you in that, you know, way to understand, hey, you can do a little bit better by, you know, you're getting on throttle too late or whatever. Yeah, so we we had one of the the main era engineers there to, to look at telemetry on the test. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, he needed to be there with Kyle for the, the 12 hours of Sebring. So we had a, a data logger in the car for the event. And then, you know, we would send those logs over to, to the engineer at the end of the day. But I was just so demoralized at the end of day one that there was really nothing that, that they could suggest. And it was, you know, probably too late. And I was probably not in the right frame of mind. But, you know, to, to, to work, with a team who's completely supporting you and all you have to worry about is driving was something very new to me. And and I even found like, you know, I would come into service and I'm like, Hey guys, you want me to take off the wheel? And they're just like looking at like dumbfounded or like, no dude, just you know, go relax and, and, and go chill. So that was still something that I, that I needed to go, go get hydrated, go get something to eat, right. leave us alone. We got the car. <laughs> So it was it was it was really cool because usually you know with with my crew and the Subaru, you know I, I'm still trying to take off the wheel. Although my crew is probably like, no, you're you're being a complete psychopath. Just just go and relax. But you know it was it was just it was such a new experience for me from from the car to the co-driver to to me never even being at at Hundred Acre Wood and to be just you know thrusted and parachuted into this you know rocket ship. The whole week for me was is completely surreal. So, you know, I have such fond memories of, of the entire weekend. You know, I can hold my head up high saying that, you know, I've, I've done everything that Kyle wanted me to do. And then I hope that I have also proven my speed on, on some stages, although probably not over the course of the, of the entire rally, but I tried my best. And, and at the end of the day, I had a blast and that's, you know, what it's about. And it's, it's just an awesome story. I, I'm so excited that you got this opportunity and, and that you did do what you came to do. And yeah, th- there was that little bit demoralizing moment, but at the same time, you learned from that too, right? So it was, it was a complete learning experience. And I I hope there's something in the future there. It, it also shows, you know, some of our grassroots guys that are out there, there's such amazing talents. It's just Unfortunately, the dollars to, to get into that machinery is high, as well as just the opportunities that, you know, there's more of them now as these machinery, machines start coming over. But just it's just fantastic to see that you've been able to uh, to do this. And dude, not only am I proud of you, but uh, I'm so excited to see what's next for a map rally team. Yeah, I uh, 
I, I don't know what's next. Hopefully this is not my last appearance in an R5 car because, you know, I was, I was talking to my, to my dad, as I always do after each event, and he goes, are you, are you going to go back to your Subaru? <laughs> and I'm like, well, of course I am. You know, it's, it's a car that I built and a car that I love and a car that I know very well. But at, at the end of the day, I've, I've accomplished everything and, and, and I've pretty much reached the pinnacle of, of what that car is, can do on a stage. Yeah. And what's, what's very enticing for me is that with this R5, the ceiling is, is exponentially higher. Right. So even if I got to 100% of what I thought was possible in the R5, there's still probably 30 to 40% left in what the car is capable of. Right. Uh-huh. And so for me, that that prospect is is so enticing. And it, it, it honestly like lit the fire under my ass to to see like how else, what else I can scheme like what other deals that i can put through so that this is not just a one and done shot for me because even after just one event like i'm like man i can i can perform so much better you know just given that i have this experience now and 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 everything so that the ceiling is so much higher and it's uh man i hope it's just not the last time i'm ever in an r5 because i i feel like i can do so much better given the opportunity again you know it just makes me think it's like yeah, you did kind of plateau, I guess you could say, w- with the NA4. Here you're comp- you were competing with the LN4 guys to find that equal competition, which was fun, right? It's great. But really what you're dealing with is the limitations of the car and not you. Correct. And now it's kind of back to the, in the R5, it's now limitations you, not the car. Correct. Yeah, there's there's really no excuse you know, in an R5, because it's, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's not going to be the car, it's going to be down to you. Can you maximize its performance? Can you use its advantages? Can you push yourself beyond what you think is capable in, a, in an R5 car? And that only comes with, with seat time, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a double edged sword, where, you know, you're, you're having fun, but also on the flip side, you know, that there's 30 to the 40% left in the car, and it's down to you to tap into it. And that for me is 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 very exciting. And you know, everybody says rally is a drug, rally is a drug, and I agree with it. But like, if anybody has the has the uh, opportunity to to go in an R five car, the ceiling is so much higher. And now I'm like really hooked, and I'm now I'm scheming ways on on how I can. I can have another opportunity, another crack at this because of... So this is Pietkowski from 2012, back in action of uh, <laughs> doing anything they can to, to, to get out there. Yeah, with uh, just two more zeros on the uh, on the financial meter. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, at, at, at the end of the day, like I said, I, I had such an amazing time and this opportunity was only possible from Kyle. He was... Yeah. Obviously, very gracious to to offer me the seat, and and offer me the seat at a very very subsidized rate, and and also I just want to thank the entire rally community for you know purchasing T-shirts and supporting me along the way. It it really meant so much to me that starting the event, I had people high fiving me and saying you know congrats on snowdrift, can't wait to see how you're doing, and and all of that. I, I try not to affect myself mentally but it was it was actually a great performance booster for me so yeah at the end of the day it was just a dream come true well that's just awesome man congratulations and uh 
Yeah, I, I hope we can see more of you. And, and Kyle and, and Era, you couldn't find much more passionate people out there rallying than him. And that's what we love about him, I think, is that you, you find the passionate people, but it's very rare that we seem to have the passionate people that also have the finances. <laughs> and it, it's just fun to see. Yeah, I mean, Kyle's a, a, a rally person through and through. You know, he has a, yep. a successful motorsport program, road racing program, but at the end of the day, he's in a rally car he has multiple rally cars you know and it's it's really great to see that you know he he offered the seat selfishly to, to myself but that for him to even have that thought in his mind i give him a lot of kudos and they have a lot of things brewing um stuff that i i don't even know but i know they're brewing some stuff and i can't wait to see what uh kyle oh there's some rumors going around <clears throat> anyway <laughs> yeah i, I just, and uh, it, it didn't come as a surprise to me when I when I saw the photo of what he posted with the uh, the WRC Puma, but uh, I, I was also pretty surprised that you know this is this is going to happen. But you know, me knowing Kyle, I know he's always looking at things on how he can be faster and and improve himself, and that comes with not only performance within within himself but but also you know with the package that he's he's pulling together so i can't wait to see what he can do in uh in whatever car he's going to be out there in the future all right well man so fun talking to you so excited you got this opportunity and that car just sounds badass fun and if if you ever out this way and you're driving one uh and you're, you're on a test uh give me a call i want to go sit in the right seat on a test and uh feel what it's like to ride with you I will, uh, if that ever happens, Mike, I will, I will certainly do that. And, uh, maybe then you can tell me how aggressive my inputs are. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good, man. All right, Mike. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Know what I hate? Big, bulky, underperforming batteries. Lighten your load with Performance Battery from Melee Design Firm. They have time-tested solutions for your race car, rally car, or even your daily commuter. Make sure you check us out at MeleeDesignFirm.com, a proud sponsor of the Open Paddock Rallycast since 2020. And thanks again to our supporters, Oz Rally Pro and Melee Design Firm. And if you'd like to help out and support our Rallycast, you can go to our website, OpenPaddock.net, and there's a link to donate. So we always appreciate any help you can have. For us, you know, hosting costs always keep going up. And so anything you can do to help us out is appreciated. Also, big thank you to our audio engineer, Derek Johnson Love. He put in a ton of hours in figuring out what was causing our problem with the mixing of the audio. You know, he's got some pretty advanced software. He's a musician, as you may know, uh, a cellist that does all kinds of funky stuff with the computer to help adjust sounds and things. And unfortunately, whatever it was in the software is causing all kinds of havoc. And he was able to diagnose and eventually figure it out. And now he's also adding in some tools where he's been putting in some really cool new car sounds you may have noticed mixed in. Maybe you can figure out whose car is who, but it's really cool that uh, he's been making our podcast sound just that much better. So thank you, Derek Johnson Love. I'm your host, Mike Shaw. Thanks for listening. And please, please, please don't deface porta potties on Recky. Mark Piekowski. I'm 21 years old from East Brunswick, New Jersey, and this is my Octane Academy video submission. Um, 
It was my life story, basically. My dad rallied uh, for about 20 years uh, in Poland, and then he came here overseas. Uh, when I was one years old, I spectated my first uh, rally. I was in STPR in Pennsylvania, and I was one years old at that time, and um, ever since I've been going to a rally, uh, with the exception, of course, uh, senior prom, but uh, judging how senior prom went, I guess I should have actually went to the rally. At the age of 16, I bought this Subaru as my first car in hopes of turning it into a rally car in the future. Uh, meanwhile, though, surprisingly, when I was uh, 16, my dad let me drive to local autocrosses. Um, it was shocking because I didn't have my full driver's license. Um, for New Jersey, you have to be 18 years old. Uh, however, that year, I won um, the class championship uh, in autocross. Throughout the year, I continued autocrossing and rallycrossing. Um, which I, which in that point in time I gather enough funds uh, to transform my daily drive into this rally car. Um, also as a graduation present, as a high school graduation present, my dad um, funded a trip to the Team O'Neill Rally School, which was an amazing experience. In 2010 I gathered enough funds to enter in my first season of rally. Um, I entered STPR uh, in June and I won first place in class. One month later, I also entered the New England Forest Rally in July, and I won first place in class there as well. Um, surprisingly, throughout the whole season, I got Eastern Regional Open Light Champion. Last November, I participated in America's first Rallycross series. I converted this car from four-wheel drive into rear-wheel drive and managed to get into the B-Main final. Um, this year, I did STPR and the New England Forest Rally as well and did surprisingly well. I got top 10 national times in this non-turbo rally car. Okay, so why should I be chosen to participate in the Octane Academy? I should be chosen to participate in the Octane Academy because racing is my heart and soul. Also, I want to prove that American drivers can do more than just drive left-handed circles as Tanner Faust proved in the European Rallycross and Ken Block in the World Rally Championship. Being a full-time college student, it's very tough for me to be able to afford rallying from event to event. The added exposure and experience from the Octane Academy can help me accomplish my dreams. If the Octane Academy wants someone with experience in the field, a will to learn, succeed, and win, then I'm your guy. Thank you.